Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. The Bible says this, Jesus Christ is the saviour of all men and especially to those who believe. It's, it's another way, replace the word saviour with the word God. Jesus Christ is the God of all people, but especially to those who believe. Although he is God legally, he may not be your God. Far from being a God, far off in a mystical place called heaven, God desires close relationship with his people. And when we as his people choose our own path, God's heart just breaks. Tonight we join Dr. Corbett in Jeremiah chapters 8 and 9, where God is heartbroken for his people. Part of the dialogue here is how do you take a book like Jeremiah and not have what Jeremiah says in a way that we all feel condemned and just slide us under the door. No need to even open the door. Just slide us under the door and roll us up and put us in the car and send us home. Because much of Jeremiah's message sounds depressing. It sounds like he was just one you know, big party pooper. He was just a misery guts from the get-go. And so part, of the, so part of the job here as a preacher is to be able to take what Jeremiah said and be faithful to the text without going, no, I can't tell him that. I've got to make that sound like this. Can you see the danger if that's my attitude? Because I'm no longer faithfully delivering God's word. And, and the other thing too would be to say, well, um, having just said what I've said about leading up to the festive season, I think we do need to be appropriate and timely with what is shared and when it is shared. I think that makes sense. I think you don't talk to your children about inappropriate things before they're able to understand those things. So I think there's a, there's a, a, a time in a, in a church when you deal with certain things and I hope that we are not a reactionary church as much as we are a church that is able to take God's word and unpack it in a way that we're not afraid that if issues come up as we deal with this, that we're going to deal with them. So I hope that makes sense. So what we're really trying to do here, as I've explained before, is look at what Jeremiah actually said. We're trying to look over his shoulder. We're trying to look at the context in which he delivered these words. We're trying to understand what it would have been like for him to have delivered it. We're trying to hear through the words of his book how his audience responded. And we then step back knowing that, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 10, it says this, everything written in the Old Testament is written to encourage us today. So this is, this is the goal. We, we look at what Jeremiah has had to say. We understand it in its context. We look at then what we can apply for us today and we draw encouragement from it. And so that's really what I want to do. And I, I think we need to do the first steps without doing the last without, uh, in a way that might ignore what the original message was. So I hope that kind of makes sense. All right, so we're starting in chapter 8 and verse 18. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to open our minds and quicken our hearts as we look at Scripture. Father, we thank you that Jesus said it is better for you that I go away because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. And so now, Lord, we thank you that you have indeed sent the Holy Spirit to bring all these things to our remembrance to lead us and guide us into all truth. And Father, we pray that today we might have your word come alive in a way that, that, that by your spirit you shed light on it for us. 
Help us to see things that perhaps we've not seen before, to understand things perhaps we've not quite understood before. Help me to share your heart. And Father, where I fail at that, forgive me. And Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you'll, you'll take what has been said, but by your Spirit, you'll, you will deposit it in each heart in a way that will bring great fruit and great glory to God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking at this section, Jeremiah chapter 8 from verse 18, and we're going to go down to Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse uh, 6. So this is Jeremiah heartbroken for my people, and this is where he, he says he's heartbroken. And we're going to hopefully see that when Jeremiah was called to be a prophet and was ministering the word, it, it wasn't just a dutiful thing for him. He wasn't just doing it, you know, I'm, unless you repent, you're going to suffer God's wrath, and what do I care? That was not his heart. His heart was, please repent. Please turn away from what you're doing. I don't want to see the wrath of God come upon you. Please repent. And, and the heart of Jeremiah had been smitten by what we see in Matthew 22, where Jesus says, these are the two great commandments, love God with all your heart. And it appears that of, of, of anyone in the Old Testament, Jeremiah exhibits a heart that clearly loved God. He clearly loved God. And there's some clues as to how he got there. He was called young. I think if you want to see somebody who's going to have the greatest potential to make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God, they must be trained from a young age. They must be. Now, that's not to say if you've come to Christ later on in life, but most of the people I've spoken to who have come to Christ later in life, as they've gone on with Christ, they've all spoken with great regret that they weren't committed to Christ earlier. So... One of the privileges of being a parent, a Christian parent of Christian children is that we're able to start young and we're able to disciple our children, not into the laws of God, but the heart of God, to give them a heart for God. And Jeremiah had that. Jeremiah's father was a priest. Jeremiah was um, uh, encountering God at a time when the law was rediscovered. So Jeremiah was getting the word of God. He had a heart for God. He was experiencing God. He had experiences with God. And I think this is what should be in the hearts of all of God's people today. We need an experience with God. Perhaps you've never had an experience with God. Salvation isn't always going to be a physical experience. And your journey with God isn't always going to be marked by continual punctuation of experience. You won't necessarily see dreams and visions every night, every day. If you read the life of Abraham, you read that he was called by God, heard the audible voice by God when he was 75. The next thing we hear is when he was 86, God appeared to him again. You ever thought about that? 11 year gap between hearing God. But Abraham didn't seem fussed. Then the next thing we hear, the next event is when he's 99 and God appears to him again and says, this time next year, Sarah will bear a child. So, you know, I know that there are people that teach seminars and things, how to hear God as if God is always continually speaking. We just don't know where the dial is on the, on the earpiece to turn it up. But I'm not so sure about that. I think God has spoken. We need to hear what he has to say in his word. But... 
the balance is we can seek God and we can have an experience with God. We can have profound dreams that are God dreams. We can. And, and, and I think we should be open to that. I think we can sense in our spirit the still quiet whisper of God. One of the first books that my uh, great posthumous mentor, F.W. Borum, wrote was called The Whisper of God. It's a profound book. He talks about these exact things where we have experiences with God, when God is actually speaking, but it's such a quiet, gentle whisper that we must still our soul to hear what he is saying. And I think that is a part of having an experience with God. And Jeremiah had that. So Jeremiah was familiar with the word. He was someone who saturated himself in the word of God. He was someone who, who was open to an experience with God. And he was somebody who then learned how... As a follower of God, when you make mistakes, how you deal with those mistakes. And as grace-saturated Christians today, I hope that we've learned how to deal with mistakes. We come to a saviour. We come to a saviour for forgiveness and cleansing and to be made whole. So here we are, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 18. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. This is what he says. Now, I want you to see as we, as we look at this, that what we're going to see is a, is a point here, that God's people, and I, and I wonder whether I should put in brackets, God's people should feel God's heart. But I'm not going to, because I think if we are really God's people, we, we have a heart after God. And, and just like John and the night that Christ was betrayed. And, and if you've ever been in a pressure situation, you ever been in a pressure situation where the stress is so great, you, you lay down at night and, and your mind is racing. You can't sleep because just so many things going through your mind. You put your, you put your head on the pillow and what you actually hear is your heartbeat. And it's pounding in your whole body. Remember the night Jesus was betrayed? He's there. And I know Leonardo da Vinci has them all sitting on one side of a long table. I know that. But I don't think Leonardo was there. Just a thought. I think there probably was no big table. And they probably definitely weren't. Sorry, Dan Brown and da Vinci Code people. But I don't think Jesus was sitting on chairs. I actually think they were probably reclining elbow grabbing food from just the middle there and the bible says that john the youngest of the disciples probably 17 16 17 maybe 18 been following christ since about the age of 15 or so as a disciple there he is and remember where it says he was he was leaning across the chest of christ and peter says to him ask him who it is who will betray us so here's jesus leading it and there's john so he's so he's head there now he would have had to have turned up looked at the face of christ and i wonder what john would have heard boom 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 and i wonder if john would have thought wow that's that's a strong heartbeat this man's under pressure how do we know that you know when he went out to pray remember what happened oh god he began to sweat blood and, and doctors will tell us the heart can work so hard under stress that that is physically possible that sweat can come out through the pores, uh, blood can come out through the, the sweat pores of your body. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was under tremendous stress. So imagine John, there's John, he turns to hear Christ. Next thing he hears, boom, 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 boom. John felt the heart of God. 
no one that night was more intimate with Jesus than John. Remember what would happen later? All the other disciples scattered, except John. John had encountered the heart of God. Remember when they scattered? Remember when, I don't know if you've thought about this, but the other gospel writers don't tell us what happens inside the trial. John does. John tells us about the exchange with the high priest. John tells us how the high priest treated Jesus with complete disrespect. He mocked him. He slapped him. He spat at him. He accused him of things that he was guilty of. I've heard some people say this was a mock trial. No, it wasn't. Jesus was guilty as charged. He, being a man, claimed to be God. And he did. He claimed that the temple would be destroyed. And he did. And John records this. John had a heart for God. Now, the point here is that if you, if you, you know, you can be a Sunday Christian and thank God for you. Let's have hundreds of them. But I hope that the Sunday Christians that we get hundreds of are going to be transformed into people that just turn their head, look at the face of Christ and hear the heartbeat, the heartbeat of God. And once you hear and see the face of Christ and the heartbeat of God, your heart is changed. Remember one of the first times I encountered what I considered to be the heart of God. I began driving around and I would see people and, and rather than just think, oh, look at them, just wasting it. I began to think, oh, look at those kids. Jesus died for those kids. Jesus wants those kids saved. Jesus wants those kids in the kingdom. Jesus wants these people to, to be saved. I wonder if he's going to do it. I wonder if I'm going to see those kids saved. Think about this. The person who cuts you off in traffic might be the person who walks in that door next Sunday looking for salvation. So be careful what you do with your fingers when someone does that. So we need to have a heart after God. God's people feel God's heart. And that's what we're seeing here with Jeremiah. Verse 19. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is a king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? You see what God is saying? I'm right here. How dare they treat me like this? How dare they treat me with such contempt? I'm right here. Verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. You see, it was a time of famine. And these false prophets had been saying, it's all right. Go up and practice your fertility rituals at the Asherah poles where they would take a temple prostitute of Baal. Go up and in front of the phallic symbol of the Asherah pole, commit an act of immorality overlooking their crops. And this would, this would bring the blessing of the sun god and the moon god called Molech and Asherah. And this would bring the blessing onto their crops and it hadn't. The harvest period's gone and we've got no harvest. And the heart of God is going, don't you see? Your idols are nothing. I'm right here. Come back to me. And yet in all of this, God has a heart of compassion for people. Isn't that amazing? 
God. Despite the way he's being treated, he has a heart of compassion for his people. You know, in that that courtroom, if we can call it that, where Jesus was being mocked and reviled and persecuted and slapped and spat at, there were priests and there were Pharisees there. They formed what's called the Sanhedrin. And there's Jesus being completely humiliated. How did Jesus feel about these priests and Pharisees? You know, we read in Acts 15 that when the church council, the first church council met, it says this, there were many priests and Pharisees who were there. They had become Christians. Many of the people that were doing this to Jesus, Jesus was looking at them through the eyes of the future and going, you're mine, you're mine, and you're mine, and you're mine. I'm looking at you with eyes of compassion. Wow. Wow. A different set of eyes. God has a heart of compassion. Notice some... we're going to, I hope you see something here in verse 21. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. Now, in one sense, this is Jeremiah talking, and he's already talked about how his heart is sick within him. But in another heart, the re, the, another, in another sense, the reason his heart is sick within him is because he has the heart of God. God is saying, your sin, your rebellion wounds my heart and I feel it. And some people, and I've said it before, but some people think sin is breaking the law of God as if God is just a great big cosmic policeman. When in fact, breaking the law of God is breaking the heart of God. And it doesn't matter whether you get caught. It's like this. If I was to ask you, Have you ever been caught speeding? And you tell me, no. I go, oh, wow, you've never never sped. That's awesome. Have I made a reasonable conclusion? No. Just because you don't get caught doesn't mean you haven't done something that's wrong. Just because, and, and I think this is important to understand for us as believers who really want to please God, That we have a heart that says, God, I delight in your laws. First John says the commands of God are not irksome, an old word, burdensome, or hard for us. The commands of God are our delight. So he says, I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. So this this is not a, you see here, it's not a cold thing. It's, it's a heartfelt thing. So that when we look at our city of Launceston, and we say this to our city of Launceston, there's two ways to say it. City of Launceston, repent. You know, there's two ways we could say it. We could say it like this. We could say it in a hateful, arrogant, intolerant, judgmental spirit and say, Ah, repent, you bunch of sinners. And there's something in our heart that says, we don't really care if you repent or you don't repent. We just want to finger wag. But that's not what's happening here. 
Jeremiah genuinely feels the wound of, of his heart is the wound of his people. So I want you to see something here. That sin always wounds the sinner. When I grew up, my mum would say to me, and I never quite knew it, but sometimes she would come home, I would be there, and I'd have this, I'd just be adjusting my halo, and she'd look at me and go, what have you done? And my answer would be, nothing. So then she would come back with numbers 33, 23. Be sure your sins will find you out. Man, I used to hear that a lot. And then one day I was reading Numbers, I discovered it actually was in the Bible. Numbers 33, 23. Be sure your sins will find you out. I just thought that was a motherism. I didn't realise it was a Bible verse because sure enough, eventually I would get sprung. And, and I'm the one who ended up paying the price. Sin always wounds the sinner. Paul the Apostle says there's a type of sin which you can commit that hurts others. But then there's a type of sin, sexual sin, that will hurt and will always hurt you. It is a sin against your own body. Now, I think as Christians, most of us have come to realise how deadly and how harmful sin is. I think we don't need another talk on you shouldn't sin because we all know that we all know that but i want you to see here that god says when you sin you break my heart but you're wounding yourself you're wounding yourself you're not meant to live that way and so i want you to see something here because when we come to verse 22 jeremiah describes the sin of the people as being a great sickness and it's a sickness for which he says there's no cure. We can't find a cure. There's no balm in Gilead. So let's read that. Verse 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of, of uh, the daughter of my people not been restored? Now, Gilead, is there, is there no balm in Gilead? In Gilead, there, there was um, trees that grew that had a kind of uh, a resin that was well known for its healing properties. And so the balm of Gilead, which you'd go down to Gilead, get some of this resin out of the trees that grew at, at uh, this place, Gilead, and you'd put it on whatever, and it would just kind of dry up. Now, in, in Australia, we have a similar thing. It's called the melaleuca tree. You, may, you can buy it in bottles, and it's called tea tree oil. And, you, and it's amazing stuff. Put it on. But I don't, now, I don't know how that compares to this. So in other words... Resin and oil coming from trees is well known. It can be well known for its healing properties. And here the prophet says, even the best known medicine of the day was not able to cure the people in the, the way that they were sick. And the way that they were sick was they, they'd been poisoned by sin. Their greatest illness was their lostness. And sin had caused their lostness. So when the Bible describes Jesus Christ as bearing our sin and sickness, you know, I think we need to be careful because it may actually be saying the same thing two different ways. The greatest sickness any person has is to be cut off from God. And sin cuts us off from God. 
So when it talks about Jesus Christ, by his stripes we were healed. It, you know, some people say, well, that means if you've got a sniffly nose, Jesus died for your sniffly nose. I'm going to give you a newsflash here. Jesus Christ died to pay the price of your sin. And, and, and quite frankly, don't, we're going to be praying for sniffly noses later. But quite frankly, some of us may have sniffly noses or inconsequential physical things like that. Not that if, sorry, inconsequential, sorry. Of course, if you're a bloke and you get a sniffly nose, it is by far not inconsequential. It is the deadly man cold. And the greatest, the greatest sickness we have is spiritual sickness. And Jeremiah says there's no cure for it here. We, we, we need a saviour. All right, so now I hope that you can see what's happening here. We're going to read that uh, in, in chapter 9, verse 1, and, and down to verse 6. And, and hopefully you'll see here that Jeremiah is not just saying this, he's crying this. He's, he, he is heaving sobs of tears. When he's saying, when he's uttering these words, he gives us an, an insight in Jeremiah chapter nine verse one. Oh, that my head were waters, that my eyes were fountain, or were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He is crying under the intense burden for the lostness of his people. Something has struck the heart of Jeremiah, and he feels it deeply, deeply. Verse two. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveller's Lodge, that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. You see, when you feel a burden for the lost, when you ache for the lost, you share with them, you, you, you plead with them, don't do this, please come to Christ, the great Saviour. The Bible says this, Jesus Christ is the saviour of all men and especially to those who believe. It's, it's another way, replace the word saviour with the word God. Jesus Christ is the God of all people, but especially to those who believe. In other words, although he is God legally, he may not be your God. But if you believe and put your trust in him, he becomes not only the God, but your God. And it's the same thing with him being saviour. Yes, he is the saviour. Legally, he's the saviour. But he's only your saviour if you believe. Put your faith and trust in him. And here we have Jeremiah saying that when, when, when you ache for the lost like this and you plead with them to, to turn back to God, often they don't and it leads to frustration. Why don't you get this? Why won't you see this frustration? And he says, I just, I can't handle this anymore. Get me out of this place. I wish I had a holiday home in the desert. He says, a traveler's lodge in the desert. Get me out of here. So he felt frustration. So if you have the heart of God, you can expect that you too will begin to feel frustration as well. He's now going to list the catalogue of the sins of the people. So here we go. And, and, and here we have his society, Judah. They've forsaken God. What does a society look like when it forsakes God? Here's a clue. 
Here's a clue as we read from verse 3. They bend their tongues like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. You'll notice this is written in poetry. They proceed from evil to evil. So what have we got there? They bend their tongue like a bow. They're not just going to say wrong things. See, what, they bend their tongue like a bow to shoot words. It's, it's a picture of an arrow, bow and arrow, isn't it? It's a picture of hurting people with your words. What does it look like when society forsakes God? People begin to hurt each other with their words. You know, in America, one of the biggest industries in America is the litigation industry. You know, who knows what litigation is? When you sue people. People suing people over things they said. Isn't that bizarre? Unbelievable. And when a society forsakes God, that's what you can expect. People will say nasty things about each other. That's why I think we as Christians, and hopefully I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to the application and conclusion here. Because we have the heart of God, we don't speak maliciously of people. So we don't respond maliciously. Um, falsehood and not truth is grown in the land. So they're lying and they just lie. Just lie, lying. Uh, they proceed from evil to evil. Now I'm trying to think, what, what's a word that describes that? And the only thing I can come up with is brazenness. They're just brazen. Just, yeah, it's wrong. I don't care. I'm going to do even worse. What? I, I, this week, I mean, it takes a lot to shock the, the media, I think. But this week, both the Australian and the Age reported of the shocking developments in the porn industry. And, and, and the article went like this. So much of standard television and standard advertising is so pornographic now that the pornographic industry just doesn't stand out anymore. So they've had to ramp it up and get even more disgusting so that they look different than children's television, nighttime television and the ads you see on primetime TV. And here is where the catalogue kind of reaches a zenith and they do not know me, declares the Lord. They do not know me. You know, Hosea 4.1, the prophet Hosea, some years before Jeremiah, he said the same thing. This is the worst sin of all. They don't know God. Now, God's going to say something about this in, um, when we come down to verse 7 as well. So we'll have a look at that in a moment. So here's a bit of a... A list of the things that we're going to see here. We'll, we'll keep going. Verse 4. Let everyone beware of his neighbour and put no trust in any brother. So what happens when a society forsakes God? You have rampant untrustworthiness. That's why in a society that, that has forsaken God, you need legal contracts and you need them airtight. You need to have I's dotted, T's crossed, full stops in the right place, commas in the right place. Otherwise, look out. Jeremiah was saying, this society no longer had any trust. For every brother is a deceiver and every neighbour goes about as a slanderer. Oh boy. Verse 5, everyone deceives his neighbour. No one speaks the truth. They've taught their tongue to speak lies. And notice this, they weary themselves committing iniquity. They weary themselves committing iniquity. What do we call that? That's self-abuse. They will sin till it hurts and keep going. 
They've wearied themselves with their iniquity. Wow. Verse 6, here we go. Heaping oppression upon oppression, so they'll oppress people. And deceit upon deceit, so they'll be deceitful. And here we go, we climax it with this. Here's the catalogue and this is where it climaxes. They, now before in verse 3, it says they do not know me. Now it says this, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. They refuse to know me. I don't know what other word to call that, but irreligious. They refuse. They refuse to know God. It's not like God is not plain or can be known. It's that they have rejected God. Oh, boy. Wow. What are we to make of this? I want you to think about this. Jeremiah's just catalogued their sin. And he's going to do a little bit of this and he's going to charge them with certain things. And But what's he trying to achieve? What's he doing? Is this a finger-wagging exercise? Not at all. Hopefully you see Jeremiah's heart was overwhelmed by what he was saying. What was Jeremiah calling the people to do? He was calling the people to come back to know God. And it all kind of fits from there. If you have a right understanding of God, a right knowledge of God, these other things fall into place. hope you can see an application for us today. Here's one of them. Jeremiah's been talking about his heart. He's been talking about these things that are in the hearts of the people. So here's the question. What's in your heart? I'm asking the same question. When I'm under intense pressure, because I know this, that when you're under intense pressure, that's when what's in your heart comes out. I think this is a reasonable application for what we've just seen in the book of Jeremiah. Let's pray. Holy God, do a work in our hearts so that we, Lord, can be completely surrendered to you. Help us, O oh God, today to serve you with all our heart, to be a people whose hearts are not proud or lifted up, but a people whose hearts say, God, have your way in my life. In Jesus' name. Heartbroken for my people. That's a clear picture of God's desire for relationship with us. His heart breaks when we walk away from him. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 18, Heartbroken for My People, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.